Well, I'm excited to start our last judge in the book of Judges, Samson, in Judges chapter 13. So look with me at Judges chapter 13, and let's begin with verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 kind of sets up the details of the story. So let's read that first. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. So here we see the beginning of this next chapter in the Judges, Samson. And what's happening here is that Israel has turned again against the Lord, away from the Lord. He's turned them over to their enemies, and for forty years... They're under the oppression or the bondage of their enemies, the Philistines. Verse 2, there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had born no children. So there we get this, this general statement about this family, this one family living in Israel, in Israel that's turned away from the Lord that's under the oppression of their enemy because they have rebelled against God. And the story is going to zero in on this one family and God's gracious work in the nation of Israel through this one family. So let's read it together. Verse 3. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or any strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So here this angel shows up and speaks to Manoah's wife, who is not able to have children, and says, you're going to have a kid. Now, that's got to be a pretty amazing moment right there. And she tells, she is told by the angel that this child is going to be a Nazarite. Now, the details of a Nazarite vow are found in Numbers chapter 6 in the Old Testament. You can jot that down. If you're taking notes, you can look at it later. It's the first six or so verses of Numbers chapter 6. But the basics of a Nazarite vow are that you are to make a vow to the Lord to be set apart for a purpose unto the Lord for a specific period of time. And during that time you're setting your life apart to serve the Lord in a specific way, you are, you are not going to drink or eat anything from the fruit of the vine, so no grape juice, no wine, no nothing like that. You are also going to make sure that you don't get a haircut, get a shave, no razor is going to touch your head. Then you ought, some of you guys are like, okay, so far, the sh no shaving thing I'm in, you know. So, so the next thing you got to make sure is you don't touch a, a, dead, a dead corpse, a corpse. You don't want to touch somebody who's died. And so those are the things that are required of you during this specific time. You're set apart to serve the Lord. So that's the Nazarite vow. Now, what's interesting in this story is that this is a unique application of the vow. And you see that. The baby is the one that's going to be under the Nazarite vow, but the baby is not making a decision to be in the vow. It's unique. The baby doesn't come to God and say, I want to vow to serve you in a special way. No, God comes to that mama and says, your baby from the point of conception is going to be set apart for me. And here's the promise. He will begin to deliver my people. And so when 
This baby's mom hears this vow. She knows there's a uniqueness to this experience here because now I'm responsible for making sure this baby boy understands that God has initiated coming to him and setting him apart for his purposes. This unique vow, application of this Nazarite vow, right here displaying the gracious mercy of God to initiate this deliverance with a family that is barren to a nation that is barren. God is so merciful. So let's see what happens. Verse 6. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God, very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink nor any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. I love Manoah's response to what his wife says. Look what he says. Verse 8, Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let that man of God whom you sent come to us again, that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. So Manoah says, okay, we got to pray. And he begins to pray and says, Lord, will you send that guy back? Because we don't have a clue what to do. If, if you're giving us this child... And we've got to make sure this child is set apart for you. We don't know what to do. Please send that guy back to help us. As much as I love Manoah's response to the information, I love God's response to Manoah even more. Look at verse 9. God listened to the voice of Manoah. God listened. The angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. And then Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when they came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? He said, I am. Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? Okay, so dad wants to know, first question, what's he supposed to grow up and be? Because if you can tell me what he's supposed to grow up and be, I'll do everything I can to train him to be that. That's his first question. I love what the angel says. Look at what he says, verse 13. So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine or drink wine or strong drink nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Here, here's what the angel says. You need to help your wife. And she needs to follow this vow. And the two of you need to do everything you can to make sure this boy knows he's set apart from the Lord, for the Lord. That's what you need to do. What about all these questions? What about worse? No, what you need to do is make sure you do everything you can to make sure 
that this boy knows he's set apart for me. That's all you need to do. Verse 15. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. We want to have a meal together is what he's saying. Verse 16, the angel of the Lord said, though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So when your words come to pass, we may honor you. Hey, I want to know who you are. So then we have a kid and everybody asks, how did this happen? We can say who it is that told us and who it is that helped us with this. We want to give you the honor that's due your name. So just tell us who you are so we can tell everybody about it. Look what the angel says. But the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. So Manoah, he took the young goat with the grain offering. He offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he, the angel of the Lord, performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. And just get this in your mind's eye. I was going to ask Lindley to come up here and help me demonstrate this. Husband and wife on their faces, on their faces on the ground. She said, you will be dead to me if you do that. So I opted not to use her as an illustration today. It's always good to check before you do those things. So just imagine with me, husband and wife on their faces on the ground, having realized they'd just seen God. They were terrified. Hearts are beating in their chest. Their faces are face down to the ground. They're not looking around. They are scared to death. And the first words out of Manoah's mouth as he's facing the ground is, we're going to die. We're going to die. He's terrified. Look what happens here. The angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah and his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things. Nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Can you imagine in that moment? Manoah says, we're going to die. And his wise wife looks at him and says, hey, you know what? If we were going to die, we'd already be dead. He wouldn't have accepted our offering. He wouldn't have shown us these things. He wouldn't have let us hear these things. And all of a sudden it registers to both of them. God let us experience this moment so that we might trust him and live out the joy of his promises. I can see them getting up off the ground, 
embracing each other with smiles that they cannot conceal, just overflowing with gratitude and excitement. We will trust you, Lord. We will follow you, Lord. And them saying to each other, I can just hear them saying, His name truly is wonderful. He's wonderful. I love this story. Look how it ends. Verse 25, Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zara and Eshtel. I want to remind you that when this story was first told to the people of God, they were experiencing the turmoil of the early reign of King David. And the story was told to the people of God so that the people of God might be reminded of the, of the hope that they have in God. The God who came to them and rescued them not because of any deserving merit of their own. Not because they were the largest or the best or the most righteous group on the face of the earth. No, God came to them because He made a promise to love them. And He came to them and He delivered them again and again and again. Whether they deserved it or not, He delivered them because of His great love. And God in His faithfulness, delivering a people that never deserved it because He is good and right, is calling the people in David's day to trust Him. That He has brought forth a promised King to lead them towards deliverance. To trust Him and believe that they have hope in God who is merciful, who initiates deliverance with His people, not because His people deserve it, but because He's merciful and wonderful. It was a story told to encourage the people to exclaim before God, we will trust You. We will follow You. We will follow the One You've anointed to lead us. We will be Your people because You are wonderful. That's their vantage point. But God graciously preserved this story for us. And our vantage point is different than theirs. We, we, we see differently from our vantage point than they did. And we read the story of Samson. Does, does the story of Samson remind you of another story? Where people have turned away from God? gone into rebellion and found themselves in bondage to their sin and their hard-heartedness. And God has turned them over to their sinful ways. But God in His mercy initiates deliverance by sending an angel to a woman to announce a pregnancy in an impossible situation. You will have a child. And He will deliver His people from their sins. And that woman had that child and she named Him Jesus. And He grew in wisdom and stature in the sight of man and God. From our vantage point, when we hear the story of Samson, it points forward to the most significant story in all of history, the story of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is different than Samson. 
Samson is the promised child from God who is to begin the deliverance of His people. But Jesus Christ is the promised child who is God who would deliver His people. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says Jesus' name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says that his name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Eternal Father. Jesus is the Son of God. Samson delivered his people through his death. We're going to catch that as the story unfolds, and we're going to see that Samson delivers his people when he dies. He gives his life to deliver his people. But the sad part of that story is that Samson delivers his people through his death in the midst of his own sin. He gets in the predicament he's in because of his own failure, his own brokenness and rebellion. Jesus Christ offers his life sinless and perfect for our deliverance from death by becoming our sin. Having never sinned himself, he takes all our sins on himself and he dies for our sins so that he then might offer to all those who trust in him eternal deliverance once and for all. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 and 26 says that Jesus Christ was undefiled and holy and did not have to make an offering of sacrifice for his own sins before he offered sacrifice for our sins. No, he was holy and undefiled and so he could simply offer his own life for our sins once and for all. There is no one like the deliverer Jesus Christ. Samson was said to begin the deliverance of God's people from the Philistines. Well, the people in David's day were looking to David to deliver them once and for all from the Philistines. Well, guess what? David's deliverance was not the answer of the once and for all deliverance from the enemies that stood against us. Sin and death. No, Jesus Christ is the once and for all deliverer. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He bore the cross in light of the joy of setting forth a deliverance that would free us all from sin and death. And when he was on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 30, he cried out, It is finished. The deliverance that was begun with just a glimpse of what God would do through Samson was completed and finished with Jesus Christ on the cross. He cried out, it is finished because Jesus Christ bore all our sins so that we might be free forever from the guilt of sin and the fear of death. It is finished. And that's why in Philippians 1, 6, God makes a promise to every single one of us who've trusted in Jesus Christ. This I am very confident that he who began a good work in you will be finishing it until the day of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ returns, he will finish what he started when you put your trust in him. He is the great finisher, the great deliverer. There is no one like Jesus. This is the story that changes everything. This is the story for which our souls long. Do do you know what this means? That you are here in this moment 
that you are breathing this air and your heart is beating in this room and you are seeing these things and you are hearing these things in this moment. Do you know what that means? We need to pay attention to Samson's mom's words. If God meant to kill us, we'd already be dead. But He accepted us. And He allowed us to see these things and hear these things because He wants us to experience the fulfillment of His promises. Do you understand that by being in this room in this very moment where you see these things and you hear these things, you have evidence right now that God cares about you and that He wants you to experience His promises. The reason you are alive in this moment is because God wants you to know Him. He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to follow Him. He wants you to hear the story of Samson and the story of Jesus and say, I will follow you. If this is who you are, my great deliverer, I will say to you, your name is wonderful and I will trust you. What this means for each one of us is that today, this moment is a day of decision. A day of salvation. If you're in this place this morning and you've never made a decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to ask Him to forgive you of your sin and decide to follow Him because He is wonderful in giving His life for you, then today is a day of salvation. This is the moment. You are here right now hearing what you're hearing because God wants you to trust Him. That's why you're here. He wants you to follow Him. He loves you. And He cares about you. Today is a day of trusting Jesus Christ for salvation. You may be asking, okay, if that's true, if I'm here because God wants me to hear this and wants me to know Him because He cares about me and wants me to follow Him, then what about all the people in the world that aren't here today or anywhere where they can hear this message? Does God not care about them? And I just want to encourage you to recognize that God's care for you in you hearing this moment is your opportunity to respond to Him so that He might call you to be a part of His work in helping others know Him. You see, if, if you don't recognize that today is a day of salvation, you might meet somebody on Wednesday this week that needs to know Jesus Christ. And you were the way that God intended for them to hear about Him. God wants you to tell others what you hear today. And you're hearing this today because for you, today is a day of salvation. Wednesday <clears throat> might be the day of salvation for your friend. That if today you decide to trust Christ, you can tell them about Jesus. The way God wants to display His love in the world is through Jesus Christ and people accepting their moment of responding to Jesus Christ. Today is a day of salvation, but it's also a day of repentance. And here's what I mean by repentance. There are people in this room this morning, you've made a decision to follow Christ, and, and somewhere along the way you've drifted away from that decision to follow Him. You know that He saved you, you know that you belong to Him, but you've drifted away and you're not walking with Him every day like you should be. Maybe it's you're not reading your Bible. Maybe it's the fact you've not told anybody about Jesus in a long time. Maybe it's you're not praying. Maybe it's not showing kindness to others out of the overflow of being shown kindness from God. 
Whatever it is, if you're sensing in your heart that you've just kind of drifted away from giving your life to the Lord, then you're here in this moment hearing these things, seeing these things so that you might see and know that God is inviting you to turn back. To come back with your whole heart and to trust Him knowing that He is wonderful and worthy of your life. Just turn back to Him and begin to pursue Him. He loves you more than you can imagine and He's longing for you to turn back back. That's why you're here. That's why you're breathing and hearing and being in this place because God cares about you. Please turn your heart back to the Lord. This is a day for decisions. When you hear the greatest story ever told in history, it's a day to make a decision. And when that story is couched in this wonderful little story about a mom and a dad and their little baby boy, I can't help but think as a parent that there's something in there for me to decide. I mean, is there anybody here who is a parent who has not spent time asking the Lord questions similar to what Manoah asked the Lord? Lord, I don't have a clue how to deal with this. I need your help to know how to raise this little boy, this little girl. Lord, I... I'm at a loss. If you can just tell me what they're supposed to grow up to be, well, maybe I can point them in the right direction. I, I need help. Anybody here fretted over the career choices of your kids, wondering what they're going to do the rest of their lives? Or maybe your kids are already making career choices and you're thinking, I can't believe my kid decided to do that with the rest of their life. You know, I mean, you, you worry about that stuff. What about choice of a spouse? You may be at the place where you're watching your children you know, grow up and you're beginning to pray for your children's spouses because you're concerned about that. And maybe you're at the place where your children are beginning to make decisions about spouses and you're freaking out about that. Or maybe you're in a place where they've already made those decisions and you celebrate those decisions or maybe you're grieving over those decisions. The bottom line is from the, from the time our kids are conceived to the time they die, we want them to have something better than what we had. There's not a mom, dad, grandparent in this room that is not long for our children or grandkids to avoid the same mistakes we've made. Am I right? I don't want my kids making the same stupid mistakes I made. I want them avoiding that. I want them to have something better. I want them to walk with Christ. And so we're crying out those same questions and I want to remind you of the answer that God gave. What you need to make sure you do is do everything you can to make sure your children know that they are set apart by God. That He loves them. That He has a plan for their life. That He wants to use them to help others see Christ. You teach them that they belong to the Lord. They're set apart for the Lord. You teach them and give them every reason to follow Jesus Christ. You give your life to that. You help them follow the Lord. I want, I want to encourage you this morning. It's never too late to begin to do that. To make the decision that you want to set your kids apart for the Lord. Maybe you haven't done that in your life. It's never too late. You notice Samson's parents are responsible for this from his birth to his death. Guess what, mom and dad? You have a role to play as long as you're alive and your kid is breathing to help them hear and know that they've been set apart for the glory of God. It's never too late.
If you're, if you're going to make that kind of decision this morning, you know where it begins? If you want to make the decision this morning, Lord, I want to give you my kids and trust you with my children. And I want you to set them apart for your glory. It begins with you making a decision that you will set your own life apart for the glory of God. Because your children will be more likely to do what you do than what you say they should do. And if you want them to see that their lives can be set apart for God's glory, then you set your life apart for His glory. And then you begin to just live that decision out. Making that decision, I want to give you my children, Lord. I was adopted because my, my parents couldn't have kids. My mom could not get pregnant. And for several years, they tried to no avail. And they decided they would adopt. And so when I was about 10 days old, they got me. And uh, I was told my whole life that I was adopted. And I knew that uh, the Lord had placed me in that home. My parents had taught me that from the, from the day I can remember. I was adopted and that God placed me in that home. And they had taught me that there was another adoption that God wanted me to go through. He wanted me to believe in Jesus Christ and be adopted in his family. So from the day I was born, I knew about a possibility of two adoptions in my life. And I was so thankful for the way my parents loved me in that way. I'll never forget the moment in the hospital, the delivery room, when I first held our first little baby boy. And one of my first thoughts was, I had no idea the sacrifice my biological mom made when she made a decision to place me up for adoption. I'm so grateful she did. It's a wonderful decision to make when you're in situations where you can make that decision. And I was so grateful and I thought to myself, I wish I could tell her thank you because I would want her to know she made the right choice. And so I got to thinking, and this is not for everybody, and I'm not suggesting anybody do this themselves, but I just thought, you know what, I'm going to write a letter to my biological family. And so I contacted the children's home that serviced my adoption and said, I want to write a letter to my biological mom. And uh, so I sent it to them, and they contacted the biological family because this is a closed adoption, and the family said, we'll accept the letter. The letter goes to them. They decided they'd write me back. I got a phone call from the home saying, we have a letter for you. Do you want to receive it? I said, yes, send it on. And it came from my biological grandmother. And in the letter, she said that my biological mother had been killed in a car wreck when I was 10 years old. She told me all about her life and about the children she had and about the decisions she made when she made a decision to give me up for adoption. And this is the statement that, that my biological grandmother made to me I'll never forget. And I think this is true of moms who give up their babies in adoption. She said, when she made the decision to place you up for adoption, the only way she could do it was because she had made a decision to give you to God. She knew that her dreams for you, she wouldn't speak into that. She wouldn't have no influence in your life. She's just going to give you to God. That's dramatic. But that's the same decision every single mom and dad in this room needs to make. 
I don't own my children. I can't control the destiny of my children. I can't enforce my dreams for them. What I want more than anything is just, just give them to you, Lord, and you do with them whatever it is you want. I want to give my children to you. You use them and use me to help them know that they are set apart from you. I want to do everything I can to help them see that you are wonderful. And I'm not going to play out what I want them to have. I'm just going to spend my life helping them orient themselves to living for your glory. You know, Samson's parents, they did that. They weren't perfect. We're going to see that they were far from perfect. But you know what? They taught Samson that he was dedicated to the Lord. We know that because in Judges chapter 16, Samson actually says when he's an adult, he says, I have been separated for the purpose of the Lord since my birth. He knew it. His parents had taught him that. Samson walked away from the Lord time and time again. We're going to see it over and over again. And he did it to his own destruction. But right before Samson died, do you know what Samson did? He cried out to the Lord because he knew his way home. And do you know what the Lord did? The Lord listened to his cry and he kept his promise. After you do all that you can do, mom and dad, we have to decide that we believe God is faithful and that we can trust our kids to him. And we need look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ to know that Jesus Christ is trustworthy. He loves our kids. We can trust him. We got to make a decision. And if you're here today, I hope that you do not miss the reality that when you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you are adopted into the family of God. And you are set apart for His purposes so that you might experience His promises because He is wonderful.